if you find yourself in a position where your company is scaling very quickly, you need brutal honesty. You need brutal, brutal honesty. You need introspection. You need to be able to honest with your team around you and you need to encourage, you know, people can be kind of scared of you, you know, to, to speak to you frankly. And you have to encourage uh, that. Uh, so we have a whole philosophy of that that comes out of, you know, R&D and, and creation sort of philosophy. So you have to be brutally honest, uh, number one. And number two, you can't give up. Okay. I mean, most, most people fail because they give up. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you hear never, ever, ever give up. We stand today. The Business Method the business with method. a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring over 500 episodes of entrepreneurs and high-performance experts dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. We've been fortunate enough to interview some of the leading experts in business and performance today. The billionaire CEO of Priceline, Jeff Hoffman, the CEO of Chipotle, Monty Moran, world's top big wave surfer, Laird Hamilton, the first black woman to build a billion dollar company, Janet Halroyd, world's top investment expert, Jim Rogers, and the list goes on and on. All of these guests you can find on the podcast backlog using Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Google, and any podcast app you prefer. Also, you guys, have you started listening to our micro high performance episodes yet? We've taken the most powerful tips and tricks from over 400 interviews that our guests have shared on how to optimize their own personal performance, and we've made them into digestible micro podcast episodes that are just two to 10 minutes long. We publish these on Monday and Friday each week, and those episodes are labeled as HP number 123456 and so on. Those episodes are live now, and they're designed for you to consume some quick, high-quality content while you only have a few minutes to spare. So be sure to subscribe to the Business Method Podcast on your favorite app so you can get those delivered as soon as they're live. And now, let's hop into today's episode. The Business Method. Hey listeners, real quick before we get started, I wanted to tell you about our trips and adventures for entrepreneurs. We have live events in different locations around the world, luxury trips to the Caribbean, adventurous trips to knock off your bucket list, and of course some private business events as well. If you're an entrepreneur, we'd love to have you join us. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at thebusinessmethod.com to stay updated. And for those established entrepreneurs out there that want to be involved in a community that is curated specifically for seasoned business minds, then we have a group for you. Inside this group, we have private live events in different locations around the world specifically for our members. We get those members in a place where they can connect, collaborate, and grow their companies faster just by being around one another. We also organize private podcast viewings and Q&A sessions with some of the world's top entrepreneurs like Jim Rogers, Alex Hermosi, the CEO of Chipotle, the marketing mind behind GoPro. And as a member of our group, you'll get to hop on calls with our podcast guests regularly to ask them any questions you want. And the last benefit is access to private world-class masterminds that are specifically curated for whatever challenges you're going through at the time. Our purpose with this private community is to help you expand your network, connect with some of the brightest minds in business today, and help one another overcome business challenges faster. You can learn more about our community at thebusinessmethod.com. Remember, subscribe to stay updated. And now, let's hop into today's show. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. 
Listeners, welcome to the Business Method Podcast, and today we have the founder of a $3 billion startup on the show. His name is Paolo Tiramani, and he's the founder and CEO of Boxable. Boxable makes 375-square-foot unfolding houses, and I say unfolding because that's exactly what they do. Literally, you take it off a truck and unfold it to have a really nice home. The unfolding of the house takes about an hour, fully equipped with a kitchen, bathroom, bedroom, television, living room, and all you have to do to get the utilities working is just plug it in. The houses don't need any special delivery equipment. It can fit on a normal flatbed trailer pulled by any vehicle, and given a small size, it can be delivered to almost anywhere you want it. You can literally have a house assembled in a single day that costs roughly around $50,000 starting out. And so far, this number may be incorrect, but 90,000 people or so have signed up to get one. There may be more than that. Paulo is joining us on the podcast today to chat about how he built this incredibly innovative business into a $3 billion company. Paulo, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? Chris, very, very nice to meet you and your audience as well. Absolutely terrific show. Yeah, I love that, you know, it's not often we get somebody on the show and we get to see the inside of the factory. And so for those people that are watching on video, you can see Paulo's factory in action right behind him as we're on the podcast, which is pretty cool. How big is the factory? You're in Las Vegas and how big is the factory there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people, folks love this uh, shot. It's in our main conference room. It's sort of the vanishing point. Well, it seems to vanish into the middle of my head, but uh, this this, uh, this factory is... Uh, uh, 300,000 square feet. So, so the larger numbers get a little abstract. I think that's about six or seven acres under a roof. And mm. uh, this, this one, we call it factory one, is an eighth of a mile long. And, you know, as big as it is, this is really still an R&D, an R&D facility, you know, for the main events, which, which will be upcoming, hopefully, with future factories. How uh, is this the only factory you guys have going now, or do you have other ones as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is the only factory, you know, we have currently, and we just have now factory two, which will be probably, we'll see, I'd like to see it in the four to 5 million square foot range. And we have, you know, it's just mind boggling. And we have that in planning. And, uh, you know, we have a few candidates statewide, you know, Texas here in North Las Vegas, they've been fantastic to us. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how it unrolls. Yeah, Texas seems to be attracting a lot of people these days. I just uh, lived in Austin for two years and the amount of <laughs> companies that are heading down that way. But this is really cool. So so we're seeing in live what's happening in real time in the factory. And how many employees do you guys have working at this factory here? So we're right, right around 200 employees just running uh, one shift as we sort of warm things up. We've been you know, operational at this plant probably, or it changes month by month, right? But I would say probably seven or eight months, uh, which is turned on from from zero. So we went from, you know, like Peter likes to say zero to one, which was quite traumatic, I can tell you. It's kind of childbirth. Uh, I actually can't imagine that, but if you can imagine uh, <laughs> starting from a small group, from a, from a core R&D group uh, to get this guy live was, mm-hmm. was quite a challenge. So we've been here just about... It's certainly less than a year uh, operationally. Okay, nice. And so there's so much to work through with this company. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating. What really impressed me, so if, if you guys go to the website, boxable.com, and just so you know the spelling, that's B-O-X-A-B-L.com, you can go and it shows right on the main page a video of how the this process works. 
And it's basically, they take this kind of platform off of a, a flatbed truck, they put it on the ground, and it literally unfolds in front of your eyes to produce a house. And what's the, what's it's 375 square foot, right? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Basically 20 by 20, something, something like that. Yep. Yeah. And they're really nice inside. It feels like it's luxurious inside because there's, you know, you have a flat screen TV, you have a bed, you have a little living room, you have a nice bathroom, the kitchen and the refrigerator is in there and everything. And it's just like, it feels like if you, it just feels useful, if that makes sense, without any wasted space from what I've seen in the videos. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, we've got some super talented people here in terms of uh, architecture and floor planning. And, uh, you know, we sort of get, uh, I think, uh, compared to tiny homes, mm-hmm. uh, this is our point of entry product. The Casita is the smallest of the building shells that we'll be making, which is, you know, 20 by 20 little square thing yeah. like a bit as, as a little Lego. And, you know, that's the building shell. And then the configuration, our first configuration is this uh, Casita model, which you see online, which is uh, the product you're referring to. And there are a lot of things you can do to make a small space feel pretty large. First of all, you know, if you look at most tiny homes, which is what we'd be compared to with this, with this model, they're you know, typically eight and a half foot wide, eight foot, seven and a half foot wide on the interior. Yeah. Shockingly narrow with a low ceiling height, you know, maybe eight foot or less. A typical home has a nine foot ceiling height. So we have our interior dimensions or our, our, our footprint is actually 19 by 19. Okay. So it's a good generous size and the ceiling height is nine and a half feet. I saw that. Um, so yeah, we're here in, you know, in Las Vegas, I live in a fancy condo on the strip and that fancy condo only has nine foot ceilings. I feel like, <laughs> I, should, I, feel like I should complain. And C- C- Casita has nine and a half foot ceilings. It also has, you know, three foot wide windows, eight foot tall doors. That's two foot taller than a, than a good size adult, yeah. uh, a, tall, a tall adult. And full-size appliances everywhere, uh, full-size, huge refrigerator. And things like space planning, very little lost core on the architectural side. There's, not, there's no wasted corridors, things of that nature. We have one thoroughfare through the middle, and it's, it's, it's very generous. It's four foot wide because it's so efficient. So it feels very roomy. And the other things that our designers and architects paid attention to were the sight lines. Most of life is visual. We, we have other senses. But if you don't know where you are uh, and you close your eyes, you could, you, know, you could be in a basement. You don't know where you are, right? So if you think about it, 80% of life, probably minimally, is, is visual, I would say. So what you can see matters and how far you can see matters. So if you sit down and you can see the other corner of the total space, that feels very large. If you can sit down and look out of a window and get a longer sight line, that makes it feel large. And then we actually set all the windows and the doorknobs and everything a little on the tall side to make the individual feel small in the space. And you think, well, you know, your, your instinct might be, well, you know, why do I want to feel small? Well, when you're in a house, you like to feel small because then the house feels big. It feels yeah. protective. And so there are a lot of these emotional factors that are dialed in to, to the casita. And, you know, we really go down to the sort of the granular level in terms of just just really a passion for making sure that that homeowner, prospective homeowner, is going to be very, very happy with their, with their living day to day when they wake up in the morning, go to bed at night, how they feel, you know, about the whole space. So a lot has gone into the Casita floor plan. And, 
you know, the public's, you know, certainly res- responded in part to that and other elements of, you know, the boxable product. Yeah. When it comes to living, it's all about comfort and feeling, right? Because you can, you could be in a place that's much smaller, but the design is better and it just feels really good. Like I've traveled the world a lot, stayed in a lot of Airbnbs and, and it's not about the size. It's for me, it's always about the feeling that you have. And if there's good lighting, if, you know, there's good bedding and furniture, like, you know, modern styled, and it makes you feel really good when you're in there, that's all that matters. And I think, you know, especially in American society, like it's, it's people focus on bigger, 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 you know, I've got to have the bigger house or the the bigger truck or the bigger, you know, piece of property or whatever. And at the end of the day, you know, if you have a bunch of empty, wasted space that you don't use, and you've just got to fill it up with stuff that then you get attached to, you know, what's the point, you know, the kids have got a room full of toys that after a few years, they don't use any of those toys anymore. And, and, you know, it's just turns into wasted space. But uh, Paulo, I want to ask you about, like, where did this come from? It's fascinating for me to see how technology evolves in, you know, computers and with cars. And I haven't seen it in homes because I'm not directly in the home industry. But like, it seems like you guys are the Tesla of homes in many ways. And so where, where did this all start? Well, thank you for that. Keep talking. We absolutely love, love, love that analogy. So, you know, the genesis of the product started, you know, my background is I'm an industrial designer, mechanical engineer, and we've hired, you know, technologists and futurists and focused on innovation and new product development, patents, mechanical patents. We really set our minds to, so, you know, if your skill set is innovation, you know, I'd liken it to an accountant, let's say, an accountant counts things. Pretty sure that accountant doesn't care what he counts. You know, it's his job to count, right? So I'm going somewhere with this. So with, with the innovation side of things, you know, it's not, it shouldn't be, if you're a professional, it shouldn't be an aha moment where you say, oh my goodness, I've had this fantastic idea. Let's, let's monetize it. You say, well, no, it's our job to invent. So our goal was to be operators in a space uh, rather than, you know, licensing or, or uh, intellectual property. Uh, we wanted to be operators in a space. And we said, well, if we're going to get involved as operators, we need to find the biggest problem we can. The problem should include good works. We, we should actually be doing something useful if we can for America. You know, I'm a nationalist. I love this country, but also the planet. I know that sounds terribly grandiose, but, you know, if, you, if you're starting with a blank sheet of paper and say, let's find a massive problem, uh, you just throw everything in the bucket. So let's find an absolutely massive problem and let's do what good works. It's going to require a lot of money. People need to, be, need to monetize their money, investors and things, so it should be profitable. And let's start with the problem. So it actually took a couple of years, I believe it or not, just to ask the questions. Uh, so, you know, it's a sl- slow and methodical, but ever accelerating. So... It's a couple of years just to, just to ask the questions to find out what the biggest problem was. And we, we got down to a few. Actually, we got down to, you know, automotive is one of them. And we realized that the, the scale and sort of in, in, entrenched the competitors, you know, it was a non-starter, certainly not as brilliant as, you know, Tesla and Elon Musk with, with far fewer resources. And building construction just stood out. And it just stood out. It just hit all the markers for us. And we were just checking these things off. And, it's, you know, things like housing crisis, a solid indicator of 
of an economy's financial status. You know, it's America, a foreign country, you know, housing starts as a measure of the economy. And then we're looking at it and we see with our marketing hat on and see that it's, there's no brand. There's no, there's no national player. There's no global player. And we're, and we're looking at this and saying, why? <laughs> you know, everything in our lives, everything I can see in your studio, everything you can see behind me was built in a factory, everything. Right. And we call that post-industrial. Post-industrial just means built in a factory. And then we're looking at building construction. I know this sounds you know, very simple as I explain it, but really it was quite an aha moment for us to, to figure this out. And we looked at building construction and said, holy cow, this is pre-industrial marketplace. This yeah. is a pre-industrial marketplace and a survey of that marketplace and, and the folks that were trying to put the product in a factory. When I say building construction, I mean buildings. You know, I don't mean necessarily sort of like the building you see behind me, but sort of the belly of the snake in terms of most buildings most of the time, whether they're, they're retail or residential, condominiums, mid-rise and things like that. That's the bulk of the building construction marketplace. And here it is, it's pre-industrial and it's literally built in a field. Mm -hmm. and, and, and companies are going in, assembling tools and labor and trades and essentially assembling an open-air factory. Can you imagine anything worse than an open-air factory that's yeah. subject to heat and rain? And then they put up a product, and then they disband the factory. It's the height of inefficiency. And we're like, well, why is that? And obviously, it's rather obvious, because they're very big. You know, buildings are big, so they build them on site. They can't build them in a factory. And so we looked at the factory solutions and realized that essentially they're non-starters. And there are some, some big, bigger companies, but they're not even very big, and nobody even knows them. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway, for example, you know, Warren Buffett owns, oh, I actually can't remember which one they own. There's so many. They've all been in here. And nobody even knows their name. Apparently, even myself, that wasn't the setup. I actually can't remember <laughs> their name. And so we looked at the factory solutions and we're like, wow, they are, they're using field materials and technologies. They're using bits of wood and pneumatic nail guns, all yeah. human product. They're using old old technology and putting it under a roof. So they haven't taken advantage of being under a roof and having sort of the giant machinery you see behind me. So that was strike one against them. And then the second strike against them was, uh, you know, we have national and global limits on traffic width, which is eight and a half feet, magic number, eight and a half feet. And then height is 13 foot off the blacktop or 13 and a half foot in Europe. So eight and a half by 13, let's call it that. And then all the factories without exception a building product that's 12 to 15 foot wide. Mm -hmm. So as a first pass look, these factories putting under a roof old technology, building something illegal to ship, and then attempting to ship it. And then they're surprised when they can't have a reach that's more than perhaps a couple of hundred miles radius uh, from their factory. So that was like, oh, okay, that's a problem. So this is sort of the genesis of the idea. And we said, wow, you know, okay, so... Where did the idea come from? It came from starting with a problem, identifying a problem. And we looked at that. And if I just cap it, those statements there and say, aha, we got a big problem there. If we can fix that problem and make building construction post-industrial, this can be one of the biggest companies in the world. Yeah. We can do it. We can do it in, you know, the time frame, relatively short order, five years, maybe seven years. And it meets one of our, uh, sort of self-selected markers, which is to do some good. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because 
you think about how homes are built and my dad was in construction and so I grew up around that industry and and really they're not all that much differently built than they were maybe even a hundred years ago, you know, like people have got zero. To, yeah, <laughs> you've got to bring the supplies, maybe in more than a hundred years, like they've got to bring the supplies to the location and they're using, okay, you know, maybe they have screw guns and, and, you know, some, a different bit of tool technology, but, and not hammer and nails as much, but they're building by hands and they're taking months to build a home months upon months, month upon months, which there's a lot of stuff there. And you guys essentially have speed lined that. So when I was in Austin, I watched a home being built. It took about five months uh, four be- for a four-bedroom home, maybe closer to six, uh, for a four-bedroom home by the time everything was done and ready to sell. You guys have speed lined that to where now the, the Casitas, which is the 20 by 20 model, that can unfold in a matter of hours and be ready to go. And then when you guys add, you know, say three more on top of that, I would imagine just a couple of days and it, it would be ready to go, right? Like you're, you're providing a home in two days that costs, you know, that takes five to six months for everybody else to build. Like that's mind blowing. Yeah, abso- absolutely. You know, if we start to think about, you know, post-industrial as opposed to pre-industrial and what a consumer is willing to accept, Obviously, a pre-industrial marketplace and, and, and homes don't have to abide by the same modern consumer standards. The modern consumer expects an iPhone, yeah. and they're getting, they're getting a wagon wheel. Excuse me, mixing my analogies. It's pretty rough. Yeah. Um, so when you go into a post-industrial space, uh, what a consumer should expect is to get it immediately, to get it at a fantastic price, to get it with a follow-through warranty, and to get it the way they want, <laughs> right? Yeah. So these we you expect that if you buy a shirt from Amazon, and there's no reason why you shouldn't expect it, and more when you get a home, you know, in this instance, you know, from Boxable. And so that means, yeah, you know, we we're shipping eight and a half foot by, by by the thirteen foot. One of the aha moments as we actually started to dig in for solutions, which is a really big one, was that uh, most homes are. I'm just going to use rough numbers. Are about two thirds empty. They're about two-thirds empty space and uh, not, not very expensive to build. And then about a third of it is a dollar de- what we call dollar dense, right? So it's got a lot of labor to finish out and it's got a lot of fancy equipment like kitchens and fridges and things like that. And then we re- also realized that we can, if you look at any home, most of that, what well, let's call it dollar dense, whether it's staircase, bathrooms, toilets, kitchens, boiler rooms, closets, that's mm-hmm. about it. Homes are rather simple that that all pretty much compact down into about a six foot space. So part of the boxable technology was, you know what, we don't need to fold this up like a box in its entirety. In fact, we don't want to, we want to just pack it down to eight and a half foot. And we want to leave the biggest core that's unfolded inside. And we realized we could get six foot. Then with six foot, we could put all of those aforementioned items and build them spectacularly efficiently compared to the field Mm. in a factory, pack it up, ship it, ship it around the world. You know, that's the plan. And uh, and it's sort of the gift that keeps on giving. When you solve one problem in one area with, let's call it a first principle, which is when something can't be sort of devolved any further, it's normally a pretty good principle and can often give benefits in other areas of other problematic areas of, of the business or solution. Mm-hmm. And with this 
uh, dollar dense and not dollar dense, the knock-on effect, you know, we were able to pack it down to eight and a half foot wide ship everywhere. But the gift that kept on giving was when you unpack it, you're essentially tripling the volume. So now your shipping costs, apart from being uh, legal, go into common infrastructure, shipping infrastructure, doesn't need permits and flat cars because it's not a wide load. When it arrives, it's like you shipped three trucks in one. So very, very, very very interesting. So we're, we're able to ship a very large volume. And the goal of the company is to ship what we, cons- what we call a consumer-gate product next day. Uh, people don't need their houses next day on Amazon Prime, ultimately, along with other, oh, wow. um, uh, yeah, uh, wow. with other uh, distribution methods of sort of all of the above, you know, Home Depot, et cetera. So it's really kind of mind-shifting yes. in, terms of, in terms of what I think folks should expect from their product, from their home. And we say it's a consumer product. And, and the standards with which consumer products get held to, which is extraordinarily high, should apply to homes as well. You know what what I was thinking of when you were talking about this is, you know, say a young family all of a sudden finds out that, or a young couple, they find out they're going to have a baby and they're, you know, in a location, maybe they're in a small apartment and or in a place that's not optimized to for a baby and they realize they want to have a home, you know, and uh, the wife is saying, hey, let's get a home. It's time to get a home. And instead of going through that whole entire process of searching for a home or searching for a bigger place to live and going to whatever location that is, in, in essence, you bring the home to them and you unfold it in a matter of you have it there in a matter of days, whereas even the rental process is a pain in the ass because you've got to find an apartment, you got to make sure it's in the right place or rent a home, you got to put a deposit down, you've got to go through all these steps and processes where essentially, ideally, I think what you guys are going for is like pop on a- on Amazon and, and the home will be to you <laughs> within a week or something like that. You know, what's the, I know you have, you're, you guys are on back order now. I think you had over 90,000 people request homes. Are, is that is that still at 90,000 or are you guys higher than that now or where, where are you sitting? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we, we have, I think, over 100,000 reservations. I don't know what, what the number is. And so we look at reservations as an expression of interest. Some folks are just putting down a number. They're saying they want one. And other folks are, are developers saying they want 50 or 100 or 200. Yeah. And so each of those each of those singular expressions range, makes that range. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of the the ceiling of for sales, there is no visible ceiling for sales. There is a ceiling, of course, but it's just not visible from where we are. We can sell millions of casitas, and it will ultimately be a very small part of the selection of the boxable uh, products. And just to give you an idea. Of, of those relative numbers, there are one and a half million, one and a half million new housing starts, I think, uh, annually in, in the US. And that's just the US, it's not global. And let's even call it, you know, a 1600 square foot single family home, which would be fairly modest. Yeah. That's, that's the equivalent to four casitas in terms of volume. Right. So that would be a total of 6 million square feet of addressable market size in the US. And this, you know, huge factory behind me might be able to make 7,000 units a year, uh-huh. you know, 7,000 units a year. So out of, out of perhaps 6 million, if you compare apples to apples, so no real visible ceiling on sales. 
what's the when you guys get in full flow operation what's the goal of delivery time from order to delivery and setup time yeah that's a great question chris so right now you know we still got our training wheels on while we deliver the product you know the product should be delivered first of all just just to go just to go through that that process uh, our product does not need to be delivered with a pickup truck with a with a big rig you know big rig and a uh, it's a you know, quarter of a million dollars and a, and a flatbed is $100,000. Our product can be delivered with a Julie, which is fifty or 60000 And our own trailers, I think we have $7,000 in material. So you can see the cost savings there. Yeah. So that driver, when he drops it off, uh, you know, whatever the travel time is, once we have you know, inventory, that driver can also drop it off without any assistance. And no crane is required. No, no forklift is required. He's able to just drop it by him, off by himself. He does not need flat land. Just mm-hmm. says, you know, where do you want it, lady? Just point to a corner and I'll drop it off and be on my way. <laughs> that saves money. And then um, to put the product on the site, uh, you require either, you know, a telehandler, which is a large forklift. You don't require a crane. You know, the certifications for a crane driver are much higher than for a telehandler, which is just big forklift, basically. Yeah. You can also get those big forklifts into tighter spots. And that will be able to put up, you know, put put into place uh, up to a two-story possible, which yes. is a pretty pretty big, large part of the addressable market. And uh, then the unpacking, uh, we're working now. This has been fully developed. You know, how do you unpack these things? These are big, big, heavy things, right? So we're doing it with a crane right now. But our but our team here has developed. Uh, sounds uh, completely insane. But, you know, we, we developed an unpack mechanism that is, weighs, uh, yeah, I think less than 70 pounds, is UPS shippable, does not require electricity, and it's just a sort of Rube Goldberg mechanism that bolts to the, to the boxable shells. Mm-hmm. And two, two guys in about an hour will be able to unpack wow. a box with no crank. And, you know, if it's a large community, if it's a larger development, developers are obviously very interested, you know, they can, they can buy that piece of equipment for a couple of thousand dollars and all consumers will be able to, you know, rent it from us and hence the UPS shippable part. So, you know, what does that take from beginning to end? But that would be sort of the physical delivery of the product would look something like that and just bring it more into a a consumer type space. It's really sort of Game, it changes the way you think you can think about your home in terms of real estate. You know, real estate means the product on the land, and um, it's, it can be very unempowering because mm-hmm. once you put your product on the land, you're kind of tied to the land. Mm-hmm. Well, no, not with possible. You know, if you're fed up with your state, your municipality, or your neighbors, you can do that process in reverse. So you, and, can, and you, can, you can fold it back <laughs> up and then move somewhere else if you need to. Yeah, absolutely. Pack, unpack. You know, our prototypes here have been, I mean, certainly more than a hundred times. And that's just the prototype. So we do think of it as, as a sort of a, sort of a broad range of, of use cases from putting down a permanent structure uh, with modular code. Currently, uh, we'll be we'll, we're in the process of writing our own code. Currently, modular code is the highest code in the land mm-hmm. in the USA. We're also, we'll also be certifying as an RV, as what's called the park model, which mm-hmm. arrives on frame. So it's all of the all of the above. I think if you have a product that is superior to than all the current uh, building codes that we have nationally, which is also fragmented by the way, state by state, then you know it would be good to have you know basically you know a national code. So yeah, so yeah, it's, so it's interesting, and we we have a long way to go. 
Some some more stats that I really liked about this Apollo is it's rated for up to hurricane speed, so it's built very sound and strong. It can hold loads of snow, so it doesn't matter the climate that you're in. Also very ener- energy efficient. Uh, utilities run on average for the basic model $28 per month, which is ridiculously cheap. And then depending on the financing, which I think you guys are, are wanting to start offering the financing, uh, can get down to low as 250 bucks per month. 250 bucks per month, you get your own mobile house. There you go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, when you have any new technology, you can't just be as good as. It's never going to get traction because yeah. we've got entrenched players that have market share. They have customers that are used to using the existing technology. So, you know, to really to really enable a new technology, the technology itself has to be, has to at least have a path to be significantly less expensive than current technology. And it has to be leagues better, leagues better. So, you know, that's, you know, what we're attempting to do. And so when we look at the building codes, uh, we think they're a bit of a joke, actually. And so, we, you know, we're significantly stronger. Hurricane, yeah, we're Florida rated for, for wind speeds and things of that nature. And it is our plan at some point to lobby the federal government for a boxable building code, which we hope would be, you know, the gold standard. So, yeah, you can have it all. You can have, you know, quote, a mobile home, as you, as you correctly state, that arrives and packs and leaves. But it's also much better uh, than, than a standard stick-built home. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I'm I'm super curious about the how one goes about the process of creating uh, a company like this. And you know, you guys are are fairly new in the marketplace. Say people are out there with technology that they think can change the world, similar to Boxable. They see a gap in the marketplace, like you did, and they want to go about the process of implementing it. Can you give us kind of a timeline on uh, and the things that you did in order to get to where you guys are today? Fundraising, looking for partners to collab with. You know, I know you came in. You're you're an entrepreneur for a long time, so you came in with a lot of experience under your belt. So this isn't like brand new territory for you. But maybe if like people are listening out there and they have ideas similar to this, maybe like a, a process they can that you, you guys went through so that they can, you know, uh, do it themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, in no particular order, I would say the first thing is, is to address is it is extraordinarily hard. It's extraordinarily <laughs> difficult. And, you know, the chances of not getting traction are probably in excess of 99%. So it is an unreasonable thing to do in the first place. Uh, any successful, successful venture really, I, I think is, is an unreasonable thing to attempt to do. So perhaps you have to be a little bit unreasonable sometimes to get yeah. things off the ground. <laughs> Secondly, yeah. Secondly, you know, there, there, are, there are ways to grow businesses today that you couldn't, we didn't have yesterday. You know, specifically you grow business small and organically, get to profit, get to profit early, which constrains your growth. And then in a, in a modern world, if you, the idea is, is, is strong and powerful enough, you can delay uh, profit to scale much faster. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, with, with the public, public markets and the, and, and the public. So this company, we don't have time to grow it organically. You know, like our partners at DR Horton, for example, one of the finest building companies in the world just invested in us. Unbelievable company, took a half a century 
to develop that company to take a leadership position. Well, we don't have half a century. I think personally, I don't have half a century. Uh-huh. So that's number one, just to really acknowledge that. And, and uh, you know, if I'm offering ad- advice, I, w- I would just caution it with the fact that we're very early in our arc. Uh, it's been a very explosive arc to date, uh, and it's been a very singular, singular and unusual arc. And I don't think we could have done it with other products that we've patented and invented in the past. I think that this has captured the public's imagination, the world's imagination, as a solution to a massive massive problem. So we had the wind to our back with the scale of the idea. So I think that was very important. Uh, other things that got the public's attention, which we had no clue, uh, would be the, un- the unfolding video. It's probably one of the things maybe captured you when you just click on Absolutely, it and you say, yeah. what the F is happening? Can yeah. I say fuck that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, what the, okay, what the hell is happening here? I've never seen anything like this. So, you know, I liken it to a song that you like, and then there's a hook to the song, you know, blah, 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 and then boom, boom, boom. And it's just the hook of that song. And I think when folks see our video, that's the hook of the song. And it just captures them enough to keep watching. And then they typically will internalize it and say, I could use this for, and then we know we've got them. We know we've got a supporter and a fan, possibly mm-hmm. an investor. So that was, that was very, very interesting. So I do think we're in a unique position. I don't want to make it sound easy. And in terms of the money raising, it's really got a chicken and egg situation. And any investor is going to find this if they go to outside sources for money. So you might, you might go to, uh, you know, to, to angels, to VCs, mm-hmm. and you may present your idea with a PowerPoint or a prototype or two. And the difference between the money's valuation, you know, let's say the VCs or an angel and the founder's valuation is, is typically there's going to be a big spread there. And I think that's very normal. And mostly I would side with, with the VCs. You know, you haven't done anything yet and you think you're worth all this and uh, we don't think you are. You know, we'll take 80% of your company for a very small amount of money. You're going to run out of cash. So you typically have a, a pretty big spread in valuation. And uh, that's certainly what happened to us. We had friends come in, VCs come in. I put in a few million dollars. Uh, just to get things, uh, you know, visualized and see if we really had any anything that we could have some traction with. And then my, my business partner, Galliano, came to me and said, you know, I think we could crowdfund this. And uh, I'm like, what? I'm like, isn't that for like fruity flavored drinks? You know, <laughs> you know they raised one and a half million and we're trying to change in the, the world. And really, you think? He goes, yeah. So we tried the crowdfunding and in no particular order, we just went on and just just blew the doors off, and it was shocking to us. With uh, you know, WeFunder and Start Engine, and uh, I think Republic and, and a few others. Don't don't quote me. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I just quoted myself, frankly. But and in general scope, we we went on, closed them out in a couple of days. <laughs> you know, broke all their records. You know, wow. mostly. Yeah, it was really quite shocking. We're like, oh wow, you know, this is interesting. And um, how much did you guys crowdfund? Uh, so I think I have to be very careful what I say because of the SEC, because mm-hmm. uh, just uh, we're a public company, we get audited. Uh, I think we just crossed in total $100 million wow. um, of, of revenue. That's that's between the reggae. Reggae Plus, for your listeners, is basically crowdfunding net worth under a million dollars uh, where you don't have to prove assets and then accredited investors, which I think is about a million dollars you've got to show mm-hmm. net worth. And... Um, 
So I think that changes your mindset. We need we need much much more money than that. You know, we're now looking to raise maybe a hundred or a billion dollars yeah. with a B because that's what the that's what the the company needs to scale. These are big factories doing big things. So we were very unique because the idea proved to be so big, and the investors are more fans than investors, and we take that very, very seriously. And we yeah. take their really, and I use this word on purpose. We take their love, you know, very, very seriously. So there's a couple of things happened in our particular sort of arc. So that was just one inflection point that we we sat. You know, our plan was like, let's let's put up a small factory. Let's build a couple of hundred ADUs, which is accessory dwelling units to change in the malls in California and other states to allow these backyard dwellings. And we can take our building technology, which I haven't spoken too much about yet, and the, the smallest building shell, configure it as an ADU, and put it out there, see if folks like it, you mm-hmm. know. And then, so we got this reaction from investors, and the investors are also fans and, and putting down you know, reservations, we said, oh, wow, oh, wow. And then, uh, so you do get a bit of luck in there as well. You, you know, really successful people, successful ventures, they get everything and then they get luck as well. And luck yeah. isn't mystical. It's just odds. It's like playing cards and you get a bunch of good cards in a row. And it's not mystical. It's just odds. And odds is luck. But you put yourself in a position to, you know, create that luck as well. You know, you bring yourself to the table if you want to continue the analogy so that was really good and then the second inflection point for us is we got a call uh from the u.s military rather eccentric gentleman you know who you are if you ever watch this (laughs) and um he said man i love your product and i'm getting you an order from the military government and we're like okay and at this point we're fielding a lot of calls from eccentric people promising the world you know and uh so he said sure and anyway this gentleman came through and we came through with 156 units for for the federal government wow. uh, for a very good, for a very good cause. And then we just finished delivering it last week. It's a major major milestone for us. So I, I don't think I don't know if I'm allowed to. So I won't say you know where it's going, but it's really for a, a great cause. That's something that's very much in the part of the national identity. It's a tragedy, fortunately, and this this helps to uh, alleviate a little bit of suffering. Hopefully, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. And you know, I remember I remember we said, oh, okay. We're not going to build a couple of hundred. You know, we need to build a bigger plant. Yeah. Uh, the money's coming in. We have an expression from the federal government that did, in fact, turn into an order. And we have, uh, you know, maybe at that point, 30, 40,000, uh, what I call expressions of interest or reservations. And we said, oh, okay, better uh, better just uh, scale this up a little bit. So yeah. so we, we stood up this, this first factory, which originally was 172,000 square feet. We've just taken up another 130, I think to enlarge it and uh it's pretty pretty wild early days which was only a couple of years ago 18 months ago yeah but i do remember standing in this space behind me completely empty no lights nothing and the military every couple of months is coming down and uh we're, we're really just straight shooters frankly and i remember standing pretty much right about here looking down at this factory and uh, there's a couple of colonels colonel wendy and a couple of others and a bunch of other military people. And, you know, I'm saying, well, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do the other. And they're going, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? And eventually I turn to them and I'm like, guys, you know we're a startup. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying it out loud, but I did say, guys, you know we're a startup. Uh-huh. And, 
you know, the second half of that comment is like, you're, you're looking at an empty, stone cold, empty factory that doesn't have electricity with a guy that you just came from an R&D lab right. with a funny, funny accent. And you're seriously just going to give us an order out of the... Anyway, I didn't say any of that. Um, but <laughs> you, it, you were thinking it, though. <laughs> right. I, I, gave, I, I gave them the lead in. Yeah. I gave them the... They're like, yeah, sure, let's go for it. Okay, all right. So um, wow. so you know, that was very important. So so we said, look, we can... We can this is... this We can we can hang a lot of stuff off this. Uh, it provides revenue, provides credibility. Let's deliver on time. And actually, we delivered, I think, a day early. We did, you know, with the pandemic, uh, we did get uh, a couple of changes on the delivery date. But ultimately, we delivered a day early, two days early, just a few weeks ago. Wow. And 156 units. Uh, we had a, a, a little celebration there. So, you know, that was the arc. And then the other thing is the, the social media for us has been absolutely massively important. Yeah. Uh, going back to how, how do you build a company? You know, we're not focused on profit which is not a horrific thing to say to our many investors because we're fin- we are focused on you know the long-term viability of the company, which allows us to scale early on, not worry too much about profit, try not to lose you know, too much money and get to a point, an inflection point, we believe, and it, it, that, that belief is strengthened every day as we keep running our Excel spreadsheets, that as we scale the building shells, which is the boxable technology, which is basically a box, these boxes, gets to a point where our cost is so affordable mm-hmm. uh, and we will pass that on as, as a good works for profit, but good works company that I don't think folks are really going to believe uh, what we can deliver these building shells for. I think everybody else is going to be looking and saying, and saying, how can they even make it for what they're selling it for? Right. And we will sell it, we'll sell it with healthy margins, but it does require massive, massive scale and a massive amount of engineering. It, it takes a massive amount of engineering to take something complicated and, and make it simple. And yeah. that's what we're doing. The, the level of rationalization at the company, we've got you know, super smart people here you know, from, from Daimler, Daimler Chrysler and Boeing and Aerospace is you know there is a there is an R and D and a product philosophy to drive down the cost of things to their their ultimate sort of simplicity lowest number of unique parts and I mean it's a whole thing and um, you know so that's sort of uh, been the arc and I would say that with this particular project we've been fortunate enough to follow the ambitions of others if I can say that in terms of scale. And we say, we're not meeting our obligations, our fiduciary duty as principles if we don't scale up, you know, our expectations. And then the final thing I'll say is, you know, with thousands of investors, I think, I think we have 15 or 20,000 investors. I'm not sure about the, the exact numbers. So we are, you know, technically a public company. Why the valuation is so high. Our investors are our fans, are on our pre-order list. And we, we set things up. You know, we are, we are a design company. You know, I'm an industrial designer, uh, probably first and foremost. Uh, so everything has to be beautiful. Can't stand anything that's ugly. Uh-huh. Um, so the studio is unbelievable. The factory is unbelievable. And we consciously set up factory tours modeled on Disney. When I say that, it's nice. like Jurassic Park. Yeah. Okay. We have, okay. you know, doors that open like this. Uh-huh. And the customers come in and have to put on full PPE, which is just costuming them. Yeah. at this point and they get an electric car with a glass roof and somebody goes around with a mic yeah and um we have characters we have a character called frank wow. um 
yeah, we have, they drive around the factory. The factory's fully bannered. It's fully striped like a village street. We don't need to stripe a factory as a village street to run an efficient factory. Mm-hmm. We're doing it for our customers. And I think that's a big part of it because they then go out on social media. You know, we have, we have a roundabout you know, uh, like a highway roundabout at the end of the factory where the car turns around. We've got AstroTurf on there. And uh, we're about to put up, for example, you know, a hitting wall. A hitting wall where customers can get out and swing a hammer and hit one of our panels to see how strong they are. So we're going into sort of experience things and we have a store. (laughs) So it's the whole whole thing. It's the experience. it's, It's the whole experience. And then the final piece of the puzzle is... You know, my business partner, Galeana and I, uh, maybe a little bit eccentric. We have a fairly decent sense of humor, a sort of the sense of the absurd. And so uh, there's a lot of things that happen on social media that we do that are just fun. And, you know, generation ago, you'd be wasting time and energy and resources to do those things, and you wouldn't do them. But today, it actually makes tremendous business sense to get the word out. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and do it because perhaps we are a little eccentric. And I think it drives the whole culture here. You know, this is sort of a vibe, if you like, of, of energy here. And I think that, that uh, customers, uh, prospective investors respond to that. And then we're extraordinarily open. You know, we're, we're, we're really, really frank and open. Of course, we're a company. Of course, we have to keep uh, certain items confidential. But we prefer not to because, you know, we're on this, uh, we're on this path, this is explosive growth, and we just share, you know, the good, the bad, and, and the fabulous, yeah. you know, as we go along. I've noticed how engaging people become and, and how much they become fans when a company is like that, transparent like that, because you all of a sudden become, you know, you want to support, like the supporter uh, side of people come out when they're they feel invested in a company or a part of a company, even if they're not. You know, maybe they're just like you know they share the stuff on social media, and they're rooting for you. You're like their their sports team, right? And they're like, yeah, we want to see Boxable, you know, get to the next level and become this world changing technology. And it's you know you sharing the creation of Boxable and then the experience you're engaging people in uh, when they come to see the factory and and everything is, I think it's in, ingenious by far, where so many entrepreneurs kind of miss out on those engaging uh, little things that can make a huge difference. I'm curious, I know, I think marketing is your specialty, but I'm curious like where you you get that from. Is that is that a superpower of your own or is that something that you and the team, you do by surrounding yourself with the right people? Have you done stuff like this before that really pulls people in like that? Uh, I, I just say sort of no to all of the above, but I, I, can, I, can, tell <laughs> okay. you, I, I can tell you the, the secret sauce, uh, Galliano. Uh, I would say is really the marketing genius and the uh, the force behind behind that. And it's it's a very interesting uh, partnership. You know, I, I I have with him. We have you know similar view on life, similar outlook on life. A couple of real freedom loving, uh, frank and open uh, individuals with a significant overlap in duties here. And uh, I think uh, we both take care of the day to day. 
and even the current day engineering. And then in terms of, you know, the money, the money side and marketing, you know, he, he really is, is handling that to an extraordinary level. And, and, and probably on the other side, I'm not talking about current day R&D, everybody pitches in on that, but the real sort of futurist version of the whole big picture, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sort of probably handling that. And that's probably our division of duties. And uh, I really think we just stumbled across the fact that we had a product that was so engaging and visually marketable that we just had to sprinkle in our own sort of brand of, uh, of eccentricity and along with some pretty decent prowess in terms of money raising, you know, we had, I mean, you know, those, those early VCs who, oh, you know, just nice conversations. And, you know, they said, you know, at those early days, well, you want too much for your company, you know. Yeah. Now, a number of those have come back in and, of course, bought in at a much, much higher valuation that, they, that we were offering in those early days, which they thought was too high. And that's fine, by the way, and they're fine with it. And it's, it's all good because we've sort of proven ourselves to a certain point that gives them the comfort to make an investment. But we are, we are unique in the space. You know, we are a technology company, first and foremost, in really, I would call it an, hour, an analog space, right? It's hammers and nails, yeah. not for possible, but for the rest of the industry. And that's, um, that's reflected in the valuation as well. You know, uh, we are frankly, you know, sort of hot and sexy (laughs) and valued as as a a tech company and we should be valued as a tech company. I think we have something like 65 mechanical patents. I think our partners, partners, uh, good partners, they are invested in the company. I think they've got zero. (laughs) And they're the the biggest company in the world, which tells you something. And then in terms of PE ratios, if you look at a, you know, a Tesla, and I have no idea on the PE of Tesla, I'm sure it's probably around, uh, you know, 40 or 50 or something like that. And, you know, one of the largest home building companies in the world has a PE value of five or six or seven. Yeah. You know, and it's just, and they're such a fine company. So it's just, you know, the markets are, the markets are a value of, of, of future, future growth. Yeah. And uh, future growth for Boxable boggles our mind, frankly. Yeah. And we have, we, we adjust probably every, every three months to, the scale of the venture we're doing, the fact that the, we're proving uh, a scalable solution uh, that can really fix a major problem on earth. Yeah. And we have to get there just as quickly as we can. Yeah. Uh, there's no hanging around, uh, which means we have to look, do a lot of things in, in parallel rather than in, in series, you know, which is maybe good for your audience as well. Yeah. You, know, you can do things in series and you can figure one thing out say, okay, and that takes you to the next step and you need the answer from number one to go to step number two. Uh, but it takes a long time and you spend less money, but then there's present value of money. So maybe it's costing you really more money if you're losing market opportunity over time. But maybe if you don't fix the problems, you can't, you can't you know, speed it up to get access to the money. We've been fortunate enough to be able to capitalize ourselves early, which means we can do things in parallel rather than in series. So what does that look like? It means we do everything at once, which sounds completely bonkers. It is a little bit, but you know, we're scaling an operation massively while we're building out software teams, mechanical engineering teams, yeah. sales forces. We don't have a final product yet. We're planning a 4 million square foot factory as a small regional factory. So you run really, really fast and you spend more money you need to 
although we haven't spent that much money in the scheme of things to get where we're going, we do spend more money than you need to, to get there, you know, a lot, lot quicker, a right. lot, lot to get to scale, you know, a lot, lot quicker. So, so that's what we've been, you know, fortunate enough, you know, to be able to do in terms of trying to get, get to scale. In regards to, to speed of growth, Paulo, um, I see a lot of entrepreneurs that for whatever reason, they just have a hard time handling the growth of their companies, right? And almost to like where they're the bottleneck, the company could grow much faster if they got out of their own way, if they got the right people in, in there to help them out. Sometimes their just mentality around uh, business and business growth can't handle you know the growth that they're they're having. And it's sad to see because uh, a lot of times they could go so much farther and they really hold themselves back. And I'm curious, like, you know, you've, you guys have had a massive amount of growth in the past couple of years. Any tips or recommendations to the entrepreneurs out there on how to handle rapid growth as a leader of a company? Oh, my God, that is such a great question. And I'll, I'll give a postscript at the end about, you know, what, what our plans are. But uh yeah, absolutely. And I think the two fundamental things are, uh, if, if you find yourself in a position where your company is scaling very quickly, you need brutal honesty. You need brutal, brutal honesty. You need introspection. You need to be able to honest with your team around you and you need to encourage, you know, people can be kind of scared of you, you know, to, to speak to you frankly, and you have to encourage uh, that. Uh, so we have a whole philosophy of that that comes out of you know, R&D and, and creation sort of philosophy. So you have to be brutally honest, uh, number one. And number two, you can't give up. Okay. I mean, most most people fail because they give up. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you never, ever, ever give up. You just got to, you know, I liken it to this. You just put <laughs> your head against that wall and you just keep pushing. So you need to be brutally honest and you have to never give up. Uh, and then sort of diving into some of those subsets. And what that means is, you know, everybody's got their skill sets, right? Nobody's good at everything. And we're all horrifically flawed. You have to really look at that and say, you know what, just because I'm building this, just because I'm driving the bus, doesn't mean that I am suddenly an expert yeah. in marketing or automotive style production line. And just because I'm sitting at the head of the table doesn't mean that I'm right, or people should do, you know, what I say. So I think you just just take, have have to really take a breath and and just do those things and and get the support. And for entrepreneurs that are used to doing everything from you know making the coffee to making the copies or whatever it whatever else, it does require an adjustment. It does require an adjustment, and it's really a month by month adjustment of uh, a reassessment of roles. You know, I may have been called a control freak. In the past, I'm not sure <laughs> I heard that somewhere or not. Uh, it's more of a first principle thing, not a control thing. But you know, you you have to build those teams, and you have to say, you know what, I'm going to get the most brilliant guy I can. I'm going to put him in. He's going to have a half a dozen people reporting to him, and I'm going to talk to him maybe once a week. And I have to hire the right guy, and that's that's a skill set I may or may not have. Uh, in terms of interviewing and things like that. So that's just, you know, one example. And then I think the other the other example, and you see this with companies out there, you know, uh, is when it's time to to let go of the reins, right? So for Galeano and I, we're absolutely not there. You know, fuck off, I'm holding the reins. 
Galeano's holding the reins, leave us alone. We're doing a wonderful, wonderful job. There is a point at which that won't be the case, right? So right. we're the entrepreneurs, we're growing the thing, and we genuinely believe we're the best people for the job and we want. If we didn't think that, we, we, we would make a change and get in additional management. I do think that there is a point that the company, to, I don't know when that happens, uh, still super, super early days, we're on the path to the on-ramp. <laughs> yeah, we're not even on the on-ramp, we're not on the launch pad, you know, we're way before that. Yeah. So we've got a ways to go. But there comes a point where I believe the boxable, when these foundational principles are all developed and installed, and we have the three sizes of building shell, configurations, uh, the software, all of the infrastructure, uh, the financing, the configurability for customers, empowering customers, you know, vertically integrating a lot of the resources from, from the electronic to the, to the physical and scoping out the architecture of the whole system, not, not the architecture of the house. And everybody knows our name. I don't know that Galeano, I don't know. At that point, we become a massive, massive logistics company. And yeah. I don't think Galeano and I will have the significant interest and all-consuming passion that we have today. Yeah. I know for sure I want. For sure I want. So do, do we exit? Do we take? Do we take a board position? But we will not be the bottle. We've spoken about this. We will not be, you know, the bottleneck for the company. It's really a little too early mm. for us to, to think about that. You know, Galliano likes creation of businesses in the sort of the wild west end of the business space, and this is for sure one of those. I'm basically you know, a guy with a box of crayons that likes to design stuff. <laughs> They're really nice colors, very edible. And, you know, um, I don't know what my, my level of interest is at that point. I do the CDO duties and I do them passionately, but they're certainly not my first passion. You know, I get off on inventing stuff. And when yeah. it's invented, I actually lose interest quite, quite rapidly. So to answer your question more concisely, I think there is a time when founders move on. If you look historically, you know, uh, Google did it famously, Brin and Sergey, I don't, I don't know, know them, but you know, with the, they hired Schmidt. I think it was Schmidt did a good, good job for a while there. Jobs, mm -hmm. um, uh, due to his own mortality, unfortunately, hired probably the most epic, in my opinion, I mean, multi-talented, but his core is logistics and Tim Cook. And I mean, what a staggering foresight. Right. Jobs had to hire Tim Cook, not as a as, as a swashbuckling innovator, but as a, a staggeringly competent steward mm -hmm. of that company. I mean, it, it really was mind blowing, you know, foresight. So there are some very you know public examples. So I don't believe we will be the bottleneck, but what you know, while while we ride through the wild west of the explosive sort of atomic growth that we're seeing. I, I think he and I, my partner and I, are pretty good stewards ourselves for the time being. Nice. I'm going to get one more question out of you and we're going to wrap up here, Paulo. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by how high-performing entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs go about their day through different types of daily routines, you know, maybe even biohacks, mentalities, mindsets. All these things. And I'm always trying to get, you know, uh, more and more about what everybody is doing out there to perform on a better level. So I'm curious, you know, you're a seasoned entrepreneur. 
now running this incredibly innovative company. What is your, I guess if you could say, I know day to day, it's probably pretty different and crazy for you, but do you have any routines or things you do on a regular basis that are your pillars to kind of keep you grounded throughout you growing and leading companies? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, I, I struggle uh, like every other human being on the planet, uh, you know, on, on a daily basis from waking up to going to sleep to sometimes not wanting to do things and stay mo- motivated, and, you know, horrifically flawed human being, just just like we all are. Brutal uh, honesty there. Brutal honesty. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, come on. Yeah, and, um, true. <laughs> so, you know, for me, I, I think, uh, you know, speaking personally and, and perhaps for, for your audience, I think you have to roll with the way you're wired. You know, you have to roll with the way you're wired. I mean, I can't, I, I understand numbers, you know, I'm an engineer, but I can't stand looking at them. I can't stand <laughs> looking at an Excel spreadsheet. I can't stand, I can read contracts. You know, we've won some, Pretty, pretty good legal battles in the past uh, by being pretty wily with with uh, contracts and I can read them and I want to read them you yeah. know so you have to figure out how you, how you're wired I have really a very unstructured existence today because things are changing literally month by month so if I then had to find a, a common thread through my, my my personal life and my personal day and what I need to accomplish here the first thing is, there is nothing, you know, there is nothing that needs to take up my time more than boxable. And of course, you know, my loved ones are more important than boxable, but as long as they're all doing fine, thankfully they all are. I have no, nothing else more important to think about than the success of this company. So that's number one, you've got to clear the play. You know, if you've got young kids, you're going to have to balance that and that's, and that's fine. And then you've got to just go with, with the flow. I mean, I, I tend to wake up around 6am. So by 6.30, I'm, I'm in the kitchen, just taking care of emails. That's great. Get them out the way. I try not to do the socials stuff, which is part of the business model. Not particularly, don't particularly need to tweet every day. And I have folks that uh, help manage that and respond, but that's just 7pm at night. I get a summary and I go through and answer anything that needs to be answered. So I just sort of clear the day and then it's pretty unstructured every day or two there are significant things happening people visiting uh, it just blows my mind <laughs> who visits uh, famous not famous big power players uh, massive corporations opportunities that we have to field when i get to the office i just presume that my day is not going to be my own you know my day is not going to be my own i just gi- i just give it up and i just say fine you know whatever okay and um so uh, one, of the, one of the things that's been very useful to me, there's apps like Calendly, uh, it's massively useful where, you know, when, when somebody wants to see you and you say, yeah, let's get together, you just send them a link and yeah. say, find a, time, find a time that's suitable for you. Yeah. It's polite. It gets booked and then you show up. And uh, that's, you know, that's really, really a big time saver. For me personally, in terms of workload, my, apart from, you know, the contracts negotiation and then just general stewardship at the pointy end, along with Galliano, which really is just a lot of talking. You know, you just talk, you know, yeah. you talk in-house counsel, just talk. You know, in terms of work, <laughs> you just crack open a laptop and whatever your skill is, I cannot do that here. Yeah. I, it's a, I cannot do that here. So I will take, it's not time off, but guys know that I'm like, yeah, call me. 
I'm not coming in for 10 days because yeah. I need to open my laptop and I need to open SolidWorks and I need to do engineering. And, you know, my particular process for engineering is I have to fiddle around for two hours just to futz around before I can get my head in the game. Yeah. And then if I'm interrupted and I go back to that task, which is for me is pretty deep thinking, it takes another couple of hours to get back in the task. Yeah. You know, we have an engineer here, one of our sort of co-founders here, Kyle, is an animal. He just sits down at his desk and he's at 95%, 98% within 60 seconds. Wow. It takes me two hours. Yeah, so I don't, <laughs> you know, so I don't show up. And then just on, on, on the personal side, to get a little older, you know, you just have to balance things out, you know, with, with machines, right? With, with physical things made of, you know, blood and guts and you got you to keep it healthy. So for me, uh, I try and get, you know, to the gym most days, it's definitely at least, you know, 50% for my mental health and 50% for my physical health, which becomes increasingly important. So, you know, I think that's, I think that physical activity is, you know, poor man's psychotherapy, but it also has, <laughs> you know, but it, I mean, it's everybody can go to a gym, you can go to yeah. a Y, you know, and I think it's extraordinarily important. And I, I think that's very, very important to do. It clears my head, do a lot of business thinking uh, while I'm there. You know, I don't have any trainers or anything like that because they're going to interrupt my thinking. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so that would be, you know, just, just my typical day. It's very unstructured. It's very variable. There is no set schedule. There cannot be any set schedule because Boxable itself is not, is an explosion. It's a controlled explosion. But, you know, I mean, that sounds like an oxymoron, but it is an explosion. So you just have to move very, very quickly. And I, I don't know who else could scale this quickly and where we're going. And the trajectory is getting more vertical as we go. So we're definitely heading into a rather uncharted territory. You know, you mentioned Tesla before. If you look at, you know, the, these companies, Tesla, Google, Apple, I'm not comparing ourselves directly to them, but just in those early days, they took way, way longer. They gave up way, way more of the company and they developed far, far slower than we're developing. Now, those, those were slightly different times and there are slightly different resources today, but this really is just, you know, a rocket ship and everyone's hanging on trying to uh, just contribute for the whole thing. So yeah, unstructured with, I would say, sort of the gym as a tow line, uh, as, a, as a sort of a daily thing to do, or most days, I would say, just to, uh, just to get through the day. And then finally, you know, there is no, there is no work-life balance. It's life. And I hate that expression. It's <laughs> life. If you're, not, if you're not here and willing to give everything and commit, you know, we don't, we don't want you. It's your life. You're just going to spend more time here than you're going to spend with your family. And you go ahead and love your family more. And please do. And you'd be weird if you didn't. But this is not your family, but it is your professional family. And you're going to spend more time here than you do at home. So you may as well really, really commit. A little bit easier for me, obviously, because I can come, come and go as I please. But it's not this is what I do in my personal life. And this is what I do in my work life. It's my life. It's my life. And it's just, uh, you know, super passionate. And I think most entrepreneurs and, and your listeners might look at it. And if they're really thinking, well, I just need to put in this many hours a day, you know, maybe it's, it's not, it's not for them. So you just have to look at it and say, you know, this is my life. Yeah. I, I love that. Takeaways. If you're running a billion dollar company or a stay at home parent, use Calendly. 
Huge hack. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Exercises poor man's psychotherapy. Uh, love that. <laughs> and make it all your life. It's not separate. So very well put. You know, what I've really li- liked about this, Paulo, is like, one, you're you're very relatable. Like, it's easy to connect with you, and I, I appreciate that. But also that you're transparent about what you guys are going through. Like, this is a, something very unique that you're building here, and it's unlike anything that has happened before. Similar, there's some overlap, but in, any, any, in many ways, it's very, very unique and, and new territory. And being open about that and, and, and making people your fans, I think it's such a smart smart play i i became a fan as soon as i saw the website with that unfolding house and then talking to you i've become even a more fan so you know, when i'm coming to vegas i'm going to come on, on your tour and i'm going to i'm going to bring some people as well and and uh, uh hopefully get some more investors and and but you guys i i really recommend checking out boxable their website what they have going on i i wanted one as soon as i saw it and I think a lot of you guys will as well. So, Paulo, man, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom with us. Any final words of wisdom before we part and also where people can find you at? Uh, sure. Uh, boxable, knowing you on the end. We, we are accepting uh, investors now. We're very grateful to, to everyone. Uh, yeah, I would say just, just on the money side, you know, the plan is to, uh, the company needs to scale massively quickly uh the crowdfunding has been staggeringly good for us uh really shockingly good there is a place for institutional money uh, as we get into you know the billions that we need to raise our next raise will be 800 a billion whatever it is as i mentioned earlier if you feel it's the right investment for you go you know go ahead and take a look we do plan to just for our existing investors i do want to say that we do plan to to spac or ipo sooner or later that just means that investors can monetize their money. They can cash out some part or reinvest whatever they want to do. That is an obligation. Uh, that is a fiduciary duty of ours to, to, to serve our investors, but it's all copacetic because there are the sort of three masters we serve, our investors to monetize them. All of our employees at uh, Boxable uh, get shares, get stock options, excuse me, to be more accurate. That includes the guys in the factory floor, right down to the kid pushing the broom. We're very serious about, about that, that everybody here who pushes and works hard should be rewarded significantly in a monetary way in the future after uh, we've had success. And uh, last but certainly not least, Boxable needs massive amounts of cash to meet its obligations for scale. So, you know, that will be happening in the future. And I will say, if you are fucking brilliant, uh, there is a job here for you in pretty much any capacity but revert to the first point, you have to be effing brilliant. <laughs> um, and I, I, uh, I, would, I would encourage folks to submit their resumes to hiring at boxable.com in any capacity. Uh, be prepared to not see your family or your girlfriend and work, boyfriend, and work, <laughs> and work uh, very, very, very hard indeed. And finally, if you do choose to do that and come in, you're successful. It's not a horrible place to be, Las Vegas. It's not a terrible place to be. No, could be worse places for sure. Paulo, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing everything with us. I, I'm, I'm raving about this and I'm going to share it uh, with a lot of people as well. So, man, thank you. I appreciate it, Paulo. Chris, super nice to be with you. Absolutely, absolutely love the show. Uh, I really, really enjoy the podcasts. 
Good. Good, good. Thank you so much, Paulo. Listeners, thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us. And once again, we wanted to remind you about our adventures and trips for entrepreneurs in our private community. If you enjoy luxury trips to the Caribbean, going on bucket list adventures around the world, or just traveling to connect with other established entrepreneurs, then be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to stay connected at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. Thanks for joining the show today, and we'll see you on the next episode.